I've been waiting two seasons for it, and it's here. Future Will, do not cut that. Like, yeah, I don't know if we can have a Tyler standing in for a Tyler. Yes, this is nuts and awesome. More fisting, please. Tyler uh, would roll in and either slap me on the butt or uh, whisper something uh, dirty in my ear. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by... Will Wallace. Close Mullis. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season three, episode one, Tattoo. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This episode is titled Tattoo. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. In this episode, a mysterious woman rescues Isaac from the Alpha Pack who have stolen his memories of the incident. Allison and Lydia prepare to start fresh after the trauma of the previous school year. Allison with support from her dad, Lydia by dallying with a new and temporary guy. Scott starts the new year off by getting a meaningful tattoo while Stiles tries to research the strange animal behavior in Beacon Hills. The sheriff and Dr. Deaton have also noticed this phenomenon, especially after the new English teacher gets a crash course in the insanity that is Beacon Hills High School. Amid the chaos, Derek tries to reckon with the Alpha Pack, who might have plans for him and Scott. Finally, Allison and Lydia discover a strange clue to Erica and Boyd's location. All right, our favorite quote of the week comes from an exchange between an Alpha and Derek. In a fight with Scott, the Alpha says, don't you realize what you're dealing with? I'm an Alpha, to which Derek replies, so am I. And then Derek says to Scott, aren't you supposed to be in school? I love this. It's so adorable. It's it's amazing. It's a great entrance for Derek in the in the episode. It's so good. Yes, it is. Both our honorable mentions this week are between Lydia and Allison. The first one, Lydia says, yes, it's a double date. It's not an orgy. You'll live. And then in the second one, she says, is it me or is Beacon Hills turning into more like Beacon for the Totally Bizarre and Supernatural? Lydia knocking it out of the park in this first She was on point this week. Yes. It's funny because actually in the shooting script that you gave me, there's more to Lydia's line. The Supernatural one? Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. It says, is it me or is Beacon Hills turning into more like Beacon for the Totally Bizarre and Supernatural? I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I got home and my mother's fish jumped out of the tank and ate the skin right off my face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I I like the, I like the, the episode version. I think it's succinct and, but also like that too. I like all the snark coming into it this is fun yeah that is unusual for Lydia yeah sounds like something 
almost that Styles would say because it's so off the wall. And maybe that's why it got cut, but very possible. The episode starts with a mysterious woman electrocuting an unconscious Isaac with cables to wake him up quickly so they can escape an equally mysterious threat. Hey, we're introduced to a new character and Isaac's pecs. I think we've met those before. Probably this is Teen Wolf. I love how she shushes him like, why can't you just be quiet while I electrocute you? Jeez, I thought you were Derek's beta. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know it's dark. Isaac notices that there's a wound on the back of his neck. The woman explains that it's how alphas share or steal memories, which is why Isaac can't remember what's going on. She helps Isaac onto the back of her motorcycle. It looks like she's driving from Gotham back over to Beacon Hills. <laughs> it does. I guess she's not going to be in Gotham for a couple more years now. Oh, that's true. Hey. Very true. As they drive away, Isaac hears someone coming after them. Sounds like two twins on a treadmill. (laughs) The woman tries to outrun them. There's something very video game-esque about this sequence. Yeah, it feels like Resident Evil and it's awesome. The twin alphas pursuing them manage to claw the motorcycle's tires and the woman just barely manages not to get them flattened by an 18-wheeler. Russell paid for that 18-wheeler out of his pocket. Because he just wanted one so badly? Yeah, he wanted to do that shot, and Joe, our producer, was like, we don't have the money for that. So Russell just said, I'll pay for it. I love his and Jeff's dedication to making exactly what they want it to be. They're, like, willing to put their money where their genius is. Absolutely. (laughs) It's very cool. One of the twins kneels, allowing the other to launch himself off his brother's back. The woman manages to outmaneuver them. She's like, joke's on you, bitch. I know how to swerve. Are we sure these aren't like secretly hails? Because that like weird, <laughs> I'm going to launch myself off my brother's back is so dramatic. Very it is dramatic. very dramatic, but they don't have the hail eyebrows. That no, is true. Don't. Unfortunately, after flying through a glass pane, Isaac and his rescuer find themselves trapped. The two alphas combine into one giant, fully shifted alpha. I really like this addition to the mythology. That the twins can fist each other? Yes, this is nuts and awesome. More fisting, please. <laughs> I do like the spines knitting together at the end of this transformation. That part is very cool. The woman sends an electrified flare from a modified military stun gun at the monster alpha, shocking them back into their two separate bodies. She kind of hit them with an epilepsy bomb. So much flashing light. Yeah, it's a good thing Erica's not here. I do miss Erica. By the time their vision clears from the bright light, Isaac and the woman find that the alpha twins are gone. The teaser ends there. New theme sequence. I love the hands reaching toward each other from the earth. One of those hands coming out is Mary Shabilsky, our production coordinator. I do absolutely love the hands reaching up. Oh my God. Very cool. And we actually have one of those hands that's printed off from the credit sequence that will give us. Yes, that's right. That and a wolf. We should include a picture of that. Yeah, we should. But this is, I think that's kind of the introduction of the earth imagery that is going to dominate 3A. Yeah. It's great. That and the fisting imagery. Those two things. Also great. Blissfully unaware of Isaac's trouble, Scott and Styles are at a tattoo parlor so Scott can get his first tattoo. Two bands around his arm. Styles asks if Scott's sure he doesn't want more of a cannibal-like creature as his tattoo, but Scott's expression tells him it's too soon for that joke. Oh, Styles is so adorable. And I love his longer hair. I've been waiting two seasons for it and it's here. Wasn't there a fan vote about that? I don't know. Like where they, they like pulled fans should Styles grow out his hair or keep the buzz cut? Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Also, I think it's just really fun that Jeff just decided to write in Tyler Posey's tattoo instead of just trying to cover it up all the time. Yeah, no, it's great. Scott has that tattoo because Tyler got that tattoo between seasons. And there <laughs> it is. I, I mean, 
it just like he did a really good job like incorporating it and making it like it makes total sense it's not like shoehorned in or anything right if, yeah it's actually kind of like what we were talking about with product placement where if you put something in to a script from a character perspective it doesn't feel out of place right you know as as long as you have a real character driven reason for it audiences will allow you to work anything into the script pretty much absolutely scott isn't sure what led him to the two bands he just likes them the tattoo artist explains that the titian word tattoo means leave a mark like a rite of passage as the tattooing begins styles properly fates Shouldn't the tattoo artist go from a tracing? If it were more detailed or complex, probably, but it's just a thick band or two. It just depends on how good he is with like doing straight lines. Yeah. Unfortunately for Scott, the tattoo quickly heals over, almost as if he'd never gotten it. Styles admits that he's relieved because he hated it. Meanwhile, <laughs> Allison and Lydia are in Lydia's car arguing about a group thing that Lydia has arranged for them and a couple of guys. Lydia can't believe that Allison was in France for four months and did zero dating. I'm glad they had a full summer pass. The events of season two take place way too soon after the events of season one. It makes it so hard to do character growth when it's only like a couple weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you see the characters driving on a road in Teen Wolf, it's this one road that snakes through Balboa Park. That road is all over Parks and Rec too. Allison maneuvers the conversation to Jackson, with whom Lydia hasn't spoken since Mr. Whitmore moved them to London. Lydia thinks an American werewolf in London will be a disaster. Better than an American werewolf in Paris. Oh. <laughs> but actually good on Jackson's dad. None of the other parents move their kids away no matter how bad things get in Beacon Hills. See also Argent family. Yeah. With her unsatisfying relationship with Jackson on the brain, Lydia finally admits that the group thing is actually a double date. During this discussion, she and Allison don't notice that Styles' Jeep has pulled up next to them with Styles and Scott inside. Scott had thought that Allison might not ever come back from France after everything that happened during the previous school year. So Scott's so oblivious. It takes him so long to get Styles' hint that Allison is like right next to them. He's a puppy. Scott is entranced by seeing her smile. A puppy in love. But oh, she does have a lovely smile. Despite what the others perceive as awkwardness, Styles rolls down his window and tries to say hello, just in time for Lydia to speed off. He's so cute. I know. The line, you know, they probably didn't see us, wasn't in the script. I wonder if it was ad lib. I like, I love that part so much. The delivery is amazing. <laughs> it, it is. is. Great. They end up going in the same direction, which makes Scott worry that Allison and Lydia might think they're following them. So Styles hits the brakes. Yeah, because that's better. Scott hasn't learned about the literary concept of irony yet. Allison worries that something's wrong, and that's why Styles stopped. Lydia stops too, but before they can do anything else, a deer runs headfirst into the front of Lydia's car, crashing through the windshield. Lydia says the deer had crazy look in its eyes. Scott touches the deer's body and can sense it with terrified. Scott looks out in the distance but sees nothing. I'm a sucker for that kind of shot. Makes me think of Jaws when Brody's looking out at the water. So scary. You don't know what's out there. Isaac and his savior are wheeled into the hospital. The woman tells Melissa to find the alpha. Melissa asks what she wants with Derek, but is pulled away before the woman can clarify that she meant Scott. For his part, Scott is busy preparing for the new school year. Totally not gonna fail this year. I don't think you have to read the selected bibliography, Scott, but I admire your thoroughness. Oh, his computer background is still him and Allison. I hope that's not still his password. You know it is. <laughs> but the picture seems to be from that day in the woods when I could only assume Matt was stalking them and taking the photos. It was nice of Matt to give him a copy before he died. Matt was a nice guy. He kept trying to tell everyone that. He was a good guy, as in a Chucky doll. 
Chris comes into Allison's room to make sure she's ready to go back to school. He's got grief stubble. Also, this is a different house, right? This isn't the room we've seen before. Would you be willing to sleep in the room where your father helped your mother commit suicide? Nope. They should probably just burn that house down. And move out of Beacon Hills. Yes. But in the script, it actually did say new apartment, new room. And it's like listed as like the Argent apartment. Oh, nice. Description. Styles' before school process involves researching deer-related vehicular accidents until his father physically drags him away from the computer. Oh, the physical comedy. I love this scene. Right? And the thump of him falling off the chair out of frame. Excellent. Lydia spends her before school time with a little recreational morning sex. Okay, I love this scene. It's so great. Lydia then tries on her playmate's leather jacket. She's turning into a bad guy. You say that as if everyone doesn't wear a leather jacket. It's the de facto uniform of Beacon Hills. The guy in question asks if they can go on a real date, but Lydia isn't interested in that. He then asks if they can have sex again, and Lydia is far more open to that idea. But first, school. You could just let yourself out, right? My mom can give you some cab money. (laughs) Scott arrives at school proudly on his new motorbike, but is surprised to find two other motorcycles parked next to him. They're shiny, and they're identical. Two new douchebags, and we just got rid of Jackson. Lydia's thoughts exactly, except with a different tone. In the script, it cuts between this mysterious girl in the hospital and the twins being introduced. It says the girl's eyes snap open, a gasp of air pulled into her throat as if she's seeing the faces for herself. Interesting. There was some weird intercutting in the episode with her. It just wasn't, I don't think, at that moment. Yeah. Right. But yeah, this one makes it seem more like she could almost have like, Psychic powers? Yeah, where she could see them entering. Yeah. Scott wants to ask Derek to help him make the tattoo permanent. But Styles suggests that Derek already has his hands full looking for Boyd and Erica, who are still missing. They pass by the principal's office, where the newly instated Principal Thomas is perplexed to find a sword in his office. (laughs) Christian, we're so happy you're back. I love that the sword is still in there. Lydia checks out the freshmen, or rather, fresh men, but Allison points out that at 14, they're more like fresh boys. Yeah, those are all men in their 20s. Yeah. The Alpha Twins catch Lydia's eye. She's on the prowl for a new distraction. I love the head tilt. That's normally a thing reserved for like straight guys checking out girls. Very true. At the same time, the mysterious woman wakes up gasping in the hospital. Weird transition. That was the one I was thinking of. Another room, Melissa worries about Isaac not healing and the fact that he's scheduled for surgery, which is going to be very confusing for everyone. On top of that, she can't get a hold of Derek. I wonder why Derek didn't pick up. Like, what else is he doing? He's trying to stage a perfect entrance, Kate. Isaac wants Melissa to do something to help resolve the situation, but she reminds him that she's new to all this werewolf stuff, but not to being perfect and amazing. She's handling it very well, though. Isaac asks that Melissa call Scott, but before she can do that, Sheriff Stalinsky pulls her aside and asks her to let him know when Jane Doe wakes up because she has about $10,000 in property damage to answer for. Little do they know that the woman has bent the IV tube to keep from getting sedated. $10,000 and that's all? I guess it's because that's the warehouse district? Some of the worst property values in Beacon Hills. (laughs) Back at school, Allison and Lydia head to English class. I'm into Lydia's dress here. I actually bought a copy of Allison's skirt. It's free people. Allison feels awkward when she's forced to sit by Scott. I love Scott sitting there literally twiddling his thumbs. Styles gives Scott a somewhat sarcastic thumbs up for the suave way he told Allison that the seat was totally vacant. (laughs) Styles can project sarcasm in even the shortest of shots. It's his gift. But maybe Scott should have just offered her a pen. You know, call back. Cute. Worked last time. 
That would have been cute. Everyone's phone goes off just before their new English teacher comes in quoting Heart of Darkness. She reveals that she was the one who sent everyone a text just to make her point that phones will be turned off in her class. But also, you know, don't text your students. Isaac encounters someone he assumes to be a medical professional, but who turns out to be an alpha from the alpha pack. She puts something in his IV to keep him from getting in the way again. Shouldn't an anesthetic not work on him? I think she's a liar and it's actually Wolfsbane of some kind. Oh yeah, that's definitely what I think. What I'd like to know is how did no one notice her walking down the hall with no shoes on? To quote Shawshank Redemption, how often do you look at a man's shoes? Melissa was right there. Melissa looks at shoes. That's true. Last season, she said she reprimanded Matt for coming into the hospital with muddy shoes. That's canon. I'll allow it. Melissa calls the school to have them send Scott over for an emergency. The new English teacher tells him that she's aware of his attendance record and she hopes he won't repeat that this year. Scott promises he won't. This session is gonna be different. It's gonna be so different. I know. Always with the crazy ex-girlfriend quotes that I'm just gonna have to cut later. (laughs) You know what? Do not, future will do not cut that because- There is an applicable Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song for every situation, and I stand by it. Listeners, if you want to hear every single, and I mean every single, Crazy (laughs) Ex-Girlfriend quote, become a patron today so you hear our uncut and uncensored full episodes. Go to patreon.com forward slash rtbh podcast. Thank you. Then Scott leaves for the hospital, where the female alpha angrily discovers that Jane Doe has escaped her hospital room. Should have hit her up first. She definitely, she's definitely the more dangerous one compared to Isaac. He's just such a sweet little puppy dog. Indeed. <laughs> Styles and Lydia, who are still in English class, sit next to each other. Styles notices a bandage on Lydia's ankle, which he says is where her dog, Prada, bit her for the first time ever. Styles wonders whether it's related to the deer that threw itself into her car, sort of like how animals act weird before an earthquake. Lydia sarcastically asks whether that means an earthquake is coming. Well, you guys are in California. Styles just thinks it could be something equivalent, that animals are sensing something bad coming. Lydia thinks it's too soon to tell. After all, the deer and Prada make only two incidents, but she barely gets the words out before a bird flies right into the window, followed by another and another, and then soon we're in the middle of a Hitchcock film. Wow, totally stole my bit. I'm sorry. These CG birds actually remind me, there's a lot of CG in this episode compared to a normal Teen Wolf episode. MTV gave us a little more money for a season opener. Ah, hence the tippy hedron moment. Scott arrives at the hospital where Melissa explains that she was hesitant to call him because she doesn't want all this supernatural stuff to get in the way of how well Scott's been doing lately. The hospital set looks great. It does. it does. So proud of it. The surgeon in the OR is shocked and frustrated to find that a knocked out Isaac doesn't seem to need surgery at all. Scott is stalled when a blind man asks him to help him navigate the hospital. All the while, alphas prowl through the hospital, claws out. They can't seem to keep their claws in for any period of time. One of the alphas throws Scott into an elevator. Don't hospitals have cameras? Not this one. Wait, no, that's not true. We saw hospital footage last season. I don't know how this works. The alpha kicks Scott's ass inside the elevator. Scott's pointy little ears. This set was a rental and it was like separate from the rest of the sets we have. So it was really just those four walls. So they were really throwing each other around in there. And so from the outside, you could see the whole thing kind of shake a little bit as they were filming. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. In the script, it says, but Scott is like a puppy attacking a Rottweiler. And it smashes him from one wall to the next, knocking the breath and nearly the life out of him. Poor puppy. Oh, so Ennis is named in the script. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. They all are, I believe. But you don't actually hear their names yet. Except for Deucalion. Luckily, Derek had come to the hospital to help Isaac, and he steps in, pulling the Alpha off Scott. Also, telling Scott that he should be in school. Derek was waiting around for the perfect moment to come into the fight, like a true hail. Yes. I feel like Derek took the summer to improve, and he was like, okay, this next year, I'm going to be super motivational to the teenagers. I'm going to talk about going to school and studying and stuff, and they're going to be so motivated to get their lives together. In the aftermath of the bird attack, Styles pulls a feather from Ms. Blake's hair. I love that bit. He's so helpful. It's so cute. It's just like such an adorable little Styles thing to include. Chris comes to check on Allison, only to be taken off guard by a question from Sheriff Stalinski. Stalinski had heard Styles say that Chris was an experienced hunter, so he'd hoped Chris could offer some insight on the strange animal behavior. Chris says he isn't anymore. When you stop doing something, you lose all of the knowledge of that thing. Everyone knows this. <laughs> Styles' face in the background. Hilarious. Sheriff always expects so much from people about animal behavior. Like, you know, first it was Deaton, now it's Chris. You're a vet, you're a hunter, you know all these things, right? <laughs> he really just needs like a slew of animal experts in the police department. Yeah. Styles complaining to his dad about asking Argent isn't in the script. Again, I wonder if that was improv because he kind of like confronts his dad like, what are, what are you talking about over there? Don't do that. <laughs> Derek carries Isaac into the Hale house. I love how he carries him bridal style. Adorable. It is so cute. Oh, he's a good alpha sometimes. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Scott asks if Derek still lives there, but Derek explains to Scott that the county took over the Hale's old property. There's just something he needs there that can help Isaac, who hasn't fully healed on the inside. The county took it? That is so sad. Oh my God. Why can't Derek have one thing? Now that we know a Teen Wolf movie is coming, all I want is like him to have like rebuilt the Hale house. Oh. That'd be very, very awesome. Scott tries to ask about the Alpha Pack, but Derek doesn't want him to get involved. He tells Scott he owes him for showing up for Isaac, but Scott can go home now and be normal. Yeah, he knows that otherwise Scott will yell at him later for ruining his life. You are not wrong. He's grown so much in that like, Three months and two weeks since he first met Derek. (laughs) (laughs) Scott says that Derek can pay him back now by helping him with his tattoo. Uh, There's kind of a lot going on right now, Scott. Isaac is unconscious over there. True. He doesn't hesitate to ask for things. Nope. No matter how much is going on, he will stop and do something for himself. Back at school, Jane Doe approaches Allison, whom she calls by name, and asks where Scott is. She is everywhere. I know all the teenagers in this town. Like, maybe she just has, like, a Beacon Hills high school, like, yearbook. <laughs> the woman grabs Allison and Lydia's forearms and holds them tightly enough to bruise, then runs off before the Alpha Twins can come closer to her. Chris witnesses the incident and insists on taking Allison and Lydia out of school for the day. He reminds Allison that they had agreed only to stay in Beacon Hills if they wouldn't get involved in supernatural stuff anymore. Why did they stay in Beacon Hills? Sheriff Stalinski asks Dean about the strange animal behavior. Dean adds another incident to the list, a room full of domesticated animals that hurt themselves until they died. My God. Yeah, that's too sad. Teen Wolf, dial it back on the animal deaths. Not here for that. (laughs) Only people deaths. Yes. Styles joins Scott and Derek at the Hale House. Derek flashes his alpha eyes and can see Scott's tattoo beneath the layers of skin. He asks what it means. Scott says he doesn't know, but he keeps drawing it. To demonstrate this, he traces two bands in the remains of Derek's family. Oh my God. 
<laughs> and the worst part is what he draws is basically a boob. Yes. Can't be unseen now. Oh my God, you guys are just like so ridiculous. I can't even. <laughs> Styles tells Derek what tattoo means in Tahitian, echoing the tattoo artist from earlier and winks at Derek. I love his little wink there. That's just like the greatest thing ever. He winks he's, at Derek, guys. He's a little flirt. Oh yeah. But in Samoan, Scott explains, the root word means open wound. That's how Scott feels about his relationship with Allison. Derek warns that making the tattoo permanent will be the worst pain he's ever felt because it will require a blowtorch. Styles tries to leave, but Derek says he needs him to help hold Scott down. I hope he doesn't pass out from, you know, the burnt flesh. Yeah. I wonder who did Derek's tattoo. Do you guys think Laura did it? That's an interesting idea. After all, it happened in New York. She could have had one too. We wouldn't know. That would be cool if all the hills had the Triskelion on their back. So is it just you burn away the top layers of skin so fast that the skin can't keep up with it and stops healing? Follow-up question, can you imagine doing that to yourself after your family was burned alive? I mean, I think that's why he did it. Punishment. Yeah, penance. But yeah, I would like to know more about how that works. Derek grabbing Styles to keep him there wasn't in the script. It was just him ordering Styles to stay. Oh, interesting. Because that was it's definitely it's a very like physical movement of him being like, uh no. Yeah. You cannot leave. It's great. Scott passes out, but he wakes up with a proper tattoo. I would really like to know what Styles and Derek talked about while Scott was passed out. Absolutely. And I've read many a thick filling in that gap. As he and Styles are leaving, Scott notices that Derek has painted the front door. He asks why, but Derek just tells him to go home. I like HGTV, Scott. Jesus. Uh, the county painted it? <laughs> just let him have this one thing, Scott. Scott uses his claws to scratch off the new layer of paint, revealing the Alpha Pack symbol. He's going to be picking paint chips out of his nails forever, which is deserved because that is a dick move. It's so unnecessary. Derek begrudgingly explains the Alpha Pack to Scott. He really can't win with Scott. Derek spent so long being like, Scott, help me with this. It's for the greater good. And Scott was like, no, it's your problem. I want to focus on school. And now Derek's like, it's my problem, Scott. Just focus on school. And Scott's saying, no, you need to tell me everything. This is very true. Cornered at the high school, the woman who saved Isaac breaks off a broom handle to wield as a weapon. Fun fact, in between setups, the uh, actress who plays Jane Doe here, uh, named Megan Tandy, would be walking around the stage twirling the broom handle as practice. It was awesome. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm impressed with how she holds her own against the alphas with just a broom handle. That's like some MacGyver shit. That was Slappy's broom handle. It's made of very stern stuff. Still need that Slappy spinoff, don't you, Will? Oh my God, it would be so good. You and Slappy, man. It's my boy. Derek explains that the Alpha Pack is led by Deucalion, who was revealed to be the blind man from the hospital. Deucalion? He sounds pretentious. When Deucalion faces off against, let's call her Megan, since that's the actress's name and we don't have a name for the character, and he puts on his sunglasses, I just hear the CSI Miami theme song in my head. Isaac wakes up and asks where the girl is. Derek, Scott, and Styles have no idea who he's talking about. The girl is wounded and losing a fight against the Alphas. She defiantly tells Deucalion that she knows he's afraid of Scott. Deucalion corrects her that he's aware that Scott has the potential to be a threat, but someone once taught him a very smart way to eliminate a threat. Get someone else to do it for you. The woman assumes he means Derek. Deucalion then slashes at her. That was Gerard's thing, right? Yes. The whole get someone else to do it for you. Absolutely. If, you know, Gerard survived last season's events, yeah. Which we didn't see him die, so. Yeah, he slunk off into the night, trailing black secretions. Ugh. 
the same for this character because yeah she just gets slashed out and we see blood flying but we don't see what happens to her very true it's the team of way not to see if anyone's truly dead or not yep in the script there's actually a cut scene after deucalion's line it says Styles steps out the front door with a worried Scott following. But when he pauses at the door, Twilight Sun streaming in, he glances down the tattoo on his arm with a small smile of pride. Surprisingly, Derek puts a brotherly hand on his shoulder, looking proud as well. After this, it cuts back to Jane Doe's realization that he's talking about Derek. Oh. Hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that would have been cool. We don't get a lot of brotherly love from Derek. No. Because, you know, Scott doesn't want it. (laughs) (laughs) While Lydia tries to help Allison choose a wall color for her new bedroom, Allison notices that the bruises on their arms look like a symbol, specifically the logo of a local bank. In a quick flash, we see that Erica and Boyd seem to be trapped inside that bank. The episode ends there. Great opener for the season. Yes, it was. That wraps up the beta section for Tattoo. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. And seriously, an American werewolf in London. Like, that's not going to be a disaster. All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Tyler Schnabel, stand-in and actor on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Tyler, how did you get into acting? Oh man, so acting, acting started at a very young age for me, you know, when I was uh, five years old, uh, my mom took me to go see The Mask in theaters, and that film just totally blew my mind as a kid, and I just remember thinking to myself, how do I do that? Like, I want to <laughs> be that, and I want to do that, nice. and my mom kind of explained uh, what being an actor was, and yeah. you know, how films are, are not real. And people make them out here in California and LA. So um, I just like immediately started, you know, the path from there. And, uh, you know, my stepdad, he was always filming, making home videos with his uh, his, his VHS camera. Nice. And uh, I kind of just, you know, picked it up one day and started making some little movies of my own and started making little magic shows because I was into magic. And uh and then those magic shows would kind of segue into, you know, little commercials in between the, in between the tricks. And, and then that kind of turned into little shorts. And then before you know it, I was auditioning um, for my school plays and just doing everything that I could, I could try to get my, uh, get, get my hands in. Nice. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. I like how even at a, at an early age, you were like, this is a business. We need commercials to buy airtime. It's you adorable. Know. Exactly. That's fantastic. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then I decided to pursue it um, in college and uh, it was a theater major at Kutztown University uh, in Pennsylvania. And then my senior year, um, I met some filmmakers uh, in New York City and actually was in Boston and um I, I got their information and I asked them uh, if, if I moved out to LA, if I could, if I could work on their next movie. And uh, they said, if you can be out um, in Los Angeles by August of, of 2011, which was the year I graduated, uh, uh, we will hire you as a, as an intern production assistant. Nice. Um, and that movie Sherm, uh, Sherm was the AD on, and oh, that, really? that, that film led to Teen Wolf. 
That's awesome. All right. Well, segue writing into the next words question, Kate. <laughs> Perfectly. Uh, very, very well, well said. Well, how did you find yourself in Beacon Hills? Yeah. So uh, I met a man named Eric Sherman. Everyone knows him as Sherm uh, on the, on that first movie that I worked on. Uh, that was called It's a Disaster, um, directed by Todd Berger. Great film. Check it out if you haven't seen it. And uh, that, so that movie um, led to me PAing for Sherm on other projects. And, and one day uh, he called me up um, and he's like, He's like, hey, Schnabel, I, I got this uh, got this new show that I'm starting. Uh, I was wondering if you wanted to uh, be a PA on it. And at this time, I had been PAing for, you know, a little, maybe maybe six months. And then um, and then I started and then I transitioned and, and started doing background work uh, for another six months. And uh, I had learned then that uh being a stand-in uh, was was a career opportunity, and it was something I was I was very interested in. So I asked Sherm if I could be a stand-in instead on Team Wolf, and he was like, I remember his reaction. He was like, Yeah, I don't know. The lead actor's name's Tyler, so that might get a little complicated. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if we can have a Tyler standing in for a Tyler. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll call casting and, uh, see if we can work something out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Sherm did just that. And, uh, I, I thank him so much for, um, for doing that because, you know, that really just catapulted my, my whole career out here, I'd say. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. So there was, yeah. Yes. Well, th there was never a Tyler shortage on the set of team. Yeah. No. They're like, well, if we have a stand-in named Tyler, I guess this heckling guy over here, we can cast him too. He's so. okay too. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's probably fine. <laughs> funny, funny enough, I actually, I, I believe I started out standing in for Tyler Hecklin on Team Wolf. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Very and cool. Then, and then, uh, and then I think I like kind of pivoted over to Dylan and then, and then wound up pivoting over to Tyler and then kind of just stuck uh, stuck as Tyler's stand-in. It was just a good, it was a good fit. Nice. But really like, there were like three stand-ins that myself, Trevor and Holly. Yeah. Um, and we kind of just rotated between all the, all the actors pretty much. Nice. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. The third stand-in was named Holly. Yeah. yeah that was Holly. So, Holly. so there was Tyler, Tyler, Holland and Holly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, Holly, Holly was Holland standard. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. So after that, they were like, "Let's not worry about the names. If they have the yeah. same name, it's it's fine." Right. Well, and, and so that's that's kind of how I got dubbed as being called Schnabel on set, mm -hmm. my last name, uh, just to avoid any further confusion. And by the time you know the end of season three came around, everyone everyone was just referring to me as Schnabel. And to this day, everyone from the Teen Wolf crew. Uh, still refers to me as Schnabel. And I, I love it. I, I love being called by my last name. It's, it's fun. It's cute. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's good. Cute. So can you explain to fans exactly what a stand-in does on set? Yeah, yeah. So it's a very peculiar job and, and it, can, it can feel a little awkward at times when you start out, but you know, a stand-in is simply, uh, you are the placeholder for the actor while the camera and lighting crew set up uh, the shot. Um, 
essentially the actors will come in and they will rehearse their scene with the crew. Uh, everyone kind of watches to see what happens and the stand-in's responsibility is to sort of memorize uh, the blocking um, and the movements of your actor. And, and after, um, after marks are put down on the ground, little pieces of tape that look like a T, uh, after marks are put down on the ground, they dismiss the actors and then the crew gets to work um, setting up the camera and, and the lights uh, exactly where they need to be. And that can take upwards of you know an hour to two hours sometimes, depending on how complicated the, the setup is. So instead of you know having the actor who has a lot of pressure, you know, memorizing lines and sometimes can be a very emotional scene, uh, they get to go prep their scene in their trailer and the standing comes in and kind of takes over for them uh, while the crew sets up. Yeah. Awesome. So what was a typical day like on set for you? Typical day, and you know, I'm still actually standing in today. I'm, I'm a standing on station 19 right now. Um, oh, nice. oh, cool. Yeah, 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 so still going strong. Um, but a typical day, uh, right now it's, it's, it's been different because of COVID, but um, you know, let's wash all that aside. Uh, and you know, a typical day on Teen Wolf, um, I would come in, uh, have our little folding chairs, right? Everyone in the crew has a folding chair. Uh, I would normally set up my chair behind um, some of the, the monitors and um, we would just kind of go throughout the day. We would watch the scenes. I would stand on my mark. Uh, I, would, I would rehearse um, the scenes sometimes with or without dialogue uh, with, with everyone in the crew. And then uh, usually uh, uh, Tyler uh, would roll in and either slap me on the butt or... Uh, <laughs> whisper something uh dirty in my ear and uh and then uh he would he and i would do the do the switch um i would go back to my seat and then uh they roll cameras they roll sound and um i would just watch the scene and take notes for anything that changes um and then you know rinse wash repeat nice it's great nice. yeah Definitely a job I don't think a lot of people know about. That oh, yeah. 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 If you're not familiar <laughs> with how the process right. works. It, yeah. it, it's, it can be so strange because like sometimes, um, sometimes you, you work with stand-ins that you've never met before. And, uh, you know, sometimes the blocking uh, might require you to, to stand, you know, inches away from their face uh, for an extended period of time. And, and <laughs> And, and look directly in their eyes because, you know, that's what lighting needs to see, you looking at the actor. And, um, and then they'll like, you know, put these random lighting meters in front of your face out of nowhere and <laughs> usually have a tons of people moving around you and you kind of just have to stand there still and just, you know, focus to make sure that you do what anyone needs you to do. Um, but at the same time, it also it's also an incredible position because you're sort of a fly on the wall and you get to observe every aspect of what goes into making uh, a movie or a television show. Um, it's a really excellent learning experience for anyone who's, uh, who's interested in, in working in the industry in any position. That's awesome. I can definitely imagine. Yeah. 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 See all that would be really incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a really cool gig. I I've uh, I've come to embrace it, and uh, I love it. I love going to work. Excellent. Can't ask for anything more than yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
So if you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? Oh man. Okay. Can we can can you guys help me refresh my memory on the creatures? Oh yes, we can definitely do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And vampires. Bigfoots. Bigfoots. He's obsessed with Bigfoot. Just chupacabra monsters. Uh, okay. Is Bigfoot in Teen Wolf? No. <laughs> no, he but can you obsessed. imagine? He's just obsessed with, with Bigfoot. <laughs> but, but that's he, a, I could say that. I mean, you can say no, whatever Will. you want, buddy. <laughs> but we had uh, 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 werewolves, cannibals, cannibals, kitsune, Oh my god, the kid, the kid. I would not want to be the kitsune because that just looked like a a very complex costume and and thing to maneuver around in. Mm-hmm. And I certainly. Don't want to be the faceless pulpy body again because that, oh. was, such, that was such a terrifying experience. Oh my well. gosh. Um, yeah, so okay, so I know I don't want to be those guys. Um I would uh, no, I, Banshee. Is, oh, there's Banshee. Mm-hmm. Um was Ducalian just a wolf? Yeah, he, he, he was the demon wolf. He was the, the demon, demon wolf. Alpha <laughs> the alpha of alpha. alpha. The apex would... of apex predators. Yeah. Just watch that episode. So we're very dramatic is what we're saying. Yes. Yeah. Very dramatic. I, love, I actually love Deucalion. Um, I thought he was such a great character and he was a great uh, a great actor to stand in for too. I, I did a lot of Deucalion doubling as well. Um, and I don't know, I, I kind of would, I kind of would pick uh, Demon Wolf maybe. Okay, um, nice. I just thought he had just such great swagger. He did. He does have cool sunglasses and he can make it lightning on command. So. Yeah, we were re-watching it. We were like, can he control the weather? Because when he does that whole big spiel. Monologue. Yeah, the whole the whole monologue about I am the demon wolf. And then there's like lightning outside behind him just crashing right as he finishes his monologue. We're like, did he somehow learn how to control the weather? I don't think the werewolves do that, but... So we'll we'll throw that in there. Yeah. Let's throw that yeah. in there. Yeah, exactly. And he can solve climate change. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Deucalion. He's an eco wolf. Yes. 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 I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very um, eco friendly person, so I think that that fits right in line. Excellent. I love it. Um, what was the Teen Wolf set compared to, or what was the Teen Wolf set like compared to other shows like uh, Liberty Crossing? You know, similar actually. I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, crossover between those two shows. Um, two of the actors, uh, we had uh, Shelley uh, Hennig, incredible actor, and just so fun to work with. Um, that you know, she she just brought so much of that that fun energy from the Teen Wolf set over to Liberty Crossing, um, and then uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on on the other actor's name. Um, Pete Plachik. Yes, yes. And he played he played the, the scientist when I was the dying wolf. So I, I got to share share the screen with him, uh, another fantastic actor. Um, he just popped up on my TV the other day when I was watching the morning show. Yeah, so it, similar in the sense that there were just, you know, similar people because Sherm was also the AD on that. And, and Steve Windle was another AD on, uh, on Liberty Crossing and both worked on Teen Wolf. So you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was light. I, I think like the biggest difference was just like the content because Liberty Crossing was, was primarily a comedy. Um, 
So you just didn't have such intense, uh, you know, setups, lighting and camera setups. So the days weren't, uh, weren't as long. Um, I, I don't even think we, we really shot nights. Um, we, we shot one or two nights on Team Wolf. Uh, just a couple. It was very that's one rare. way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that, that was a that was a really fun, uh, really fun show to stand in on as well. Um, and it was just great to it's always great to just reconnect with uh with the cast and crew. You know, they just they become family. You guys know that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What's your favorite episode of Team Wolf? Yeah, I was doing a little studying before this uh, <laughs> before this podcast. Um, okay, so Motel California has always stood out to me. Um, That's a good one. I, I I wish I could say why. I, I think it I think it had to do with just um, it, the, season three was the first season I, I joined. I, I came on to Team Wolf, and that was one of like the first big location uh, episodes, from what I recall. And um, that location, I just thought was really was really fun in general, and 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 really looked beautiful on camera. Um, and they just like, just from a working perspective, I I just had a really really great time uh, working on that episode. And then I remember watching it and just seeing how everything kind of fell into place on on screen, um, and just how how good everything uh, came together. Um, so that was that that that's one of my favorites and uh i also um i really like the episode devoid um season three has just always stood out to me and i i really think it's because it was the first season i worked on but i also uh dylan playing void styles is just that was just such a, a phenomenal um performance and uh um I always, I always, that, that's just always stood out in my, in my memory of some of my favorite moments in the show. And, uh, that, that the void, uh, episode, there's such, there's a, a beautiful set, uh, which was, I think it was inside, uh, the, the, the speaker factory that we were working in. It's just a white, yeah. white expanse of room. And you got the, the nematon right there and, and he's playing chess with, um, with, uh, Nagitsune, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And and I just I, I just I just loved that. I thought that's such an icon it was such an iconic moment. Definitely. Yeah. It's a very just a very arresting visual. And you know, and something you haven't really seen on Teen Wolf, but then just have and the Nematon is so cool itself, that little yeah. that prop, you know, yeah. but then it's like, where can we put it that's weird? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know, how about just a giant empty right room? It's like love it you know it's like oh well there happens to be 100 feet from here so it's yeah let's go do that it was just such a such a creative show they were always figuring out new ways uh just to like bring bring the imagination to screen and um i think like one of my favorite parts about working on the show was was just getting to getting to experience all of these all of these sets and locations and going places i never ever would have been to before like the like the sewer plant mm-hmm. uh, in Long Beach, like roaming the tunnels down there. That was, I mean, yeah, it, it smelled pretty bad, but just like, <laughs> like I never would have gotten to experience that. And uh, I don't know, it was just, it was just, it was just really, really cool and unique. Um, and Trevor, my stand-in partner, we were always just taking photos uh, of of 
everything. Um, and and kind of just like it, it kind of became a little a little game because it was right around when Instagram started to get big, mm-hmm. and we were just like, okay, how can we take a picture of this stuff but not leak something on the episode? Yeah. <laughs> um, there was like a fine line, uh, but then like the show really, you know, they really opened up and started embracing the social media, mm-hmm. which which I honestly it's like it, it really really helped with the show in the long run. Like, Absolutely. I, I don't know. I don't think any show, uh, I don't think any show's done it better than Teen Wolf did. They, 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 they totally just embrace social media and, and, and just look what happened. Yeah. 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 We, we did it right. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite picture that you took from a, from a I Teen do. Wolf shoot? I do. I posted it a few times on my, on my Instagram. Uh, it's a, it's a photo of um, Arden in the rain and uh, oh I don't, yeah I've seen that one before yes yes That's such a good one fantastic has out her uh I don't know what the technical term her sword is. her katana her, yeah there it is katana she's got out yeah. her katana and you can see like there's like a, a man under an umbrella and like a boom mic and like a, a crane and there's just, like these cool angles and silhouettes um and I think like the umbrella's red and it's like the light is shining through it um I just, I, I, that, that's, I think that was my favorite photo that I took on the set. Yeah. It's a good one. Thanks. Good one. Thank you. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit, but um, you did a feature last year where you reunited with fellow Teen Wolf alums, Steve Wendell and John Gross. What was it like working with them outside of Teen Wolf? Yes. um, So that was, uh, that was so fun. Um, and just a really, a really intense experience too, for me, that, that was the, that was probably the hardest I've ever worked on, on anything creatively in my entire life. And, uh, having Steve Wendell, um, and John Gross be a part of that with, you know, just, I, I couldn't have done it without them, honestly. And I, 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 it's, it's so true. Everyone involved on that, I, I couldn't have done without them, um, it was a, it was a group project, just like any any movie and TV show. Um, but uh, you know, Steve, Steve was our line producer, and he scheduled the shit out of that movie. Um, the movie is called Willie Jamile and the Cacacoon, By the way, uh, it's a it's a it's it's a handful. But um, yeah, I said a feature because I was like, I kept trying to say it and failing <laughs> and so I was like what if I just say a feature and make him say it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that way I don't screw it up for everyone to hear no, it's okay you know it's funny that the name of that film like even the film festivals that we played in they watched the movie and they still couldn't pronounce the names <laughs> right but hey you know what can you do it kind of became a little inside joke um <laughs> But yeah, so we shot that in Pennsylvania and uh, Steve and I are actually from Pennsylvania. And when Steve also was on uh, It's a Disaster with Sherm as well. And uh, when I first when I first came out here, the first phone call we had, I recognized that we had the same area code. Um, neither of us had changed oh. our phone numbers yet. Um, so I was just like, hey, are you from PA? And he's like, yeah, dude. <laughs> um, we, we totally hit it off and uh we we became good friends ever since and um uh he's such a hard worker and he just he 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 knows how to put the pieces together um 
better than anyone else I know. Um, and so he was such a huge asset and, and just a fun person to, uh, to be around. Um, and John Gross, man, like John and I have become really close to, uh, he and I are big Apple nerds and <laughs> we have a little, uh, text message Apple group with like five other, five other people. And so I talk to John probably like, you know, every day, cause we're always sharing, uh, stuff, stuff in the, in the text group. Um, but, but John, he, he brought the cacacoon to life. You know, the, the cacacoon is a, it's a mythological creature, um, that my character is hunting. And, uh, you know, John actually, he, he did VFX on, on my first film, uh, Frasier Park Recut. Uh, he helped with a special effects shot at the end of the film. And, um, I asked him if he wanted to help out with this one as well. And, 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 and he did. And, uh, I'm so grateful because, uh, he, it, it's, it's so cool. You know, what, what he was, he and his team was able to create. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like me and my, uh, my, my partner, Ryan, um, he, he co-wrote and directed the film with me. Uh, it, the process was sort of like, okay, well, what do you want the creature to look like? And, uh, and then they kind of like sketched out, um, you know, some images and then they sent them over and then we had some revisions and then they started to render them in 3D and then they started to add the color. And then once we had the footage, we sent them the footage and they put it in. And the process was, was, really, was really fun um, and super professional. Those guys are all pros. Nice. Very nice. It's yeah. great. Good to see that. Uh, okay, so this is well, Amazon a- Prime. Oh, oh, is it? It is. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. All right then. Then I will definitely go check yes. it out. Yes, fantastic. So, shameless plug. Both movies hey. on Amazon. <laughs> no, fantastic. We 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 want everyone from Teen Wolf that we talk to to get all their stuff out there to the world, yeah. just because nice. we want everyone to We're work. We're here to signal boost. Exactly. That's 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 the plan. So, um, okay. So this isn't this isn't a question at all. I just wanted to say how awesome it is that you worked on Parks and Rec. And it's probably like one of the greatest shows of all time. So, <laughs> so you know, thank you for your service. For your service on that. Yeah. Also, I, welcome. You are also <laughs> you. Pete Plotchik was there. Yes, he was. He's he's Ellis in that in that scene or in in that 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 story that B story and all yeah. that. And so that's so interesting. You know, another yeah, another Team Wolf crossover. I know, man. It's it's wild. I re- and I, I I remember telling him about that too um, when he, when he came back onto Team Wolf. Uh, but dude, that Parks and Rec um, moment, I, I I I literally like without fail, someone always points me out in that episode uh, every year. They're just like, oh, I just saw you in Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> like it was my smallest role, but apparently my most popular. <laughs> well, hey. Yeah, people, people love Parks and Rec. Yeah, so. it's so good. Do you have any fun memories from filming season three that you'd like to share? Yeah. Oh my God, too many. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll 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 start with the this one. Season three was the was the season where there were five Tylers that were hired. Um, you had Tyler Posey, Tyler Hecklin, myself, and then there was a. Uh, Tyler Hickman, uh, who came on as a production assistant. And, and then you had, a, a, I believe she was in the hair department and her name was also Tyler. And um, <laughs> there's a picture that we, that we decided to take together of all the Tylers uh, uh, out, by, um, 
out by base camp and uh I, it's somewhere on my instagram if you if you scroll back enough but in the very background uh dylan o'brien is photo bombing nice <laughs> he's got his hand up with the peace sign just like peace dude nice. <laughs> yeah. very cool that was a good one that was a great memory um doubling dylan for the first time was a really fun memory uh it was it was the the, the first time we kind of um had like like got to bond too on set just both of us both of us looking exactly the same um <laughs> and we got a got a picture together with that, that so that, that stands out in my mind um going to the abandoned mall uh was was a really fun memory and just another just like really unique location um and getting to kind of stand on the the, the escalator and, and take some pictures and i think that that's now like a like an influencer hotspot. Like, I think Beyonce filmed there. Beyonce filmed there, and then so, it blew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I haven't been there since. Uh, I actually, that's not true. I think I went. I think I shot there once more on a show after Teen Wolf, but um, I, I haven't been there probably in over you know five years or so. But I, I, my my niece went there and and took a bunch of pictures, and she said it's just like. There's all this like, uh, you know, cool tagging, you know, with graffiti uh, in, inside the place now. Um, but yeah, I guess Team Wolf did it first, right? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I gotta say the best. Gotta represent, yeah. So, um, so you're a writer and, uh, so you're a writer and director as well as an actor, but which of the jobs do you enjoy most? Man, well, that is a hard question. I don't know if I can honestly answer that. I, I, I think I, I really like both. Um, directing is fun because, because you really, you really get to see your vision come to light. And uh, I don't know, it's just, you, you get to work with everybody, you know, and whereas an actor, you can kind of, it can kind of be a little isolating at times. Um, you're kind of in your own world. Uh, and yeah, you're working with your scene partners, but um, you're really mainly just focused on on the performance, and and you kind of have to trust that everyone else is going to do their part. Um, and as a director, you have to trust that everyone is going to do their part too. But uh, you 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 just have uh, you have more say, and uh, you get to work uh, creatively um, in in all the in all the different areas, which is really rewarding. Um, but uh, you know, I love both equally, and I think that's why I continue to make movies that I'm acting in. You know, but that's it's hard. It's hard. I I don't think I could ever just direct by myself and also act. I have to have a co-director. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, thanks. And uh, my first film was co-directed um, with my buddy Sam Hanover. And uh, my second film was co-directed uh, with my 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 buddy Ryan Delaquilla, and uh, you know couldn't have, couldn't have done it with without them. Nice, fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. So you played a dying wolf in the episode of Weaponized. Uh, can you tell us anything like what was that experience like? How did it come about? What can you yeah. tell us about it? Um, I don't really. I don't really remember exactly how how it all kind of fell into place. I mean, I I had been expressing interest to be on the show probably, you know, maybe midway through season four. Um, 
I started whispering in some people's ears. Uh, I was so nervous in season three, by the way, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything. I was just like, even it was funny because, you know, they would do these rehearsals and, and when they were ready to film, they would say pictures up. Right. And that's the signal that like, Oh, we got the image we need and we're about to start rolling. And there were so many times where they would say pictures up and I'd still be on my mark. And the actors wouldn't be anywhere. My heart would just start racing. And I'm just like, Oh no, are they going to, are they going to film with me on this mark? It's like, of course they're not. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no way But I, I was just so nervous. I was so green. Um, but uh, once I started just getting acclimated, uh, I, I started getting a little bit more comfortable and, and I felt confident enough to, to start telling people that I wanted to be involved um, on the show as an actor. Um, and the, the Dying Wolf uh, was, was one of the first, um, I guess, parts that kind of came to fruition. Um, and it was, it was so fun. That, that was my first time doing full wolf makeup. And I mean, it's like not, I, I, I think I did full wolf, maybe like, maybe like 75% wolf for like a, um, a Comic-Con thing or, or a Team Wolf convention where um, they, they did makeup on me for fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I have but a picture the, with you uh, right? in the makeup. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, on, but this particular part, uh, you know, just full wolf in costume, you know, I had the black, the black blood to coming out of my mouth, I think. Um, but yeah, that was, that was such a fun experience. Uh, I think, I think there was a moment where Dylan O'Brien stood in for me or Tyler <laughs> Posey stood in for me just for fun. And it was like a, so it was, cute. This is a fun moment. Um, and then after everything, you know, everyone clapped and it was, you know, just, yeah, just, yeah, it was, it, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. That's just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely wonderful. It's a great experience. How did Nano Pictures come about? Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting story. Um, so I already mentioned that uh, I am an Apple nerd fanatic. <laughs> well, my, my first Apple product uh, I bought in high school, it was the iPod Nano. Uh, the first gen iPod Nano, and I was obsessed with this thing um, so much so that I, at lunch in high school, um, I made an announcement to the entire lunch table. I said, "Everyone, listen up!" I had my iPod, my iPod Nano in my hand. I said, "From now on, I want everyone to call me Nano Schnabel." Oh my God. <laughs> That's a choice. That's a choice. Was, I mean, did it catch on? <laughs> uh, let's just say that, that that my high school friends to this day call me Nano. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it stuck. It stuck. <laughs> Little did I know that that was actually going to be permanent, uh, a permanent <laughs> name. But um, yeah, so I embraced it. And it was around the time when YouTube actually uh, started. And my first YouTube channel uh, my username was Nano Shorts. It was, you know, it was kind of a play on word. And instead of like Tyler's Shorts, it was Nano Me Nano Shorts. 
And also my whole shtick on YouTube was making short shorts, like, you know, one to three minute short films, which are nano. Yeah. So that was how nano shorts came around. And then once I realized that I wanted to make movies, feature length films, I kind of had to change the name of the company uh, because a movie isn't short. <laughs> so I did a whole rebranding and, uh, and and changed the company name to Nano Pictures, um, which is still fitting because my first two films are actually on the shorter side of, uh, of feature length films. They're both uh, 71 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the story of Nano Pictures. I appreciate shorter run times at this point in time. I like sit through a three hour Marvel movie. I'm ready to like just enjoy some fun, shorter films. I've been hearing a lot of that. <laughs> yep. I've been hearing a lot of that. And so I kind of, I kind of want to keep doing it. You know, it's, yeah. it's nice to be able to just sit down and, and just watch a movie and, and know that uh, you're not going to have to get up and go to the bathroom 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like long movies, but only if, you know, there are hobbits and a lot of walking involved. So <laughs> Otherwise, otherwise we can keep it short. So, a lot of a lot of walk and talks, Will. A lot of walk and talking. Yeah. <sighs> oh, this ring is so heavy. I know, Mister Frodo. Okay, we're still not <laughs> the director's cut with you. You can like you can talk about it all. You, I'm still not sitting down for a director's cut marathon of Lord of the Rings. So, whoa, have you watched it with commentary? Uh, yeah. There, each one has four commentaries, sir. What? Yeah. Four. Holy yeah, God. the writer, the writer, the the writers and the director in, in one. The there's cast in the second one. The third one is uh, and the second, the third and fourth one both have crew members, like DP and and production designers and all that talking about it. So yeah, I know what I'm talking about. So. Nerd. <laughs> I embrace it. I embrace it. You say it with derision, <laughs> but I say it with pride and love. We are all nerds here, right? Yeah, we definitely are. Nerd power. Exactly. <laughs> We're nerding for Teen Wolf right now. So that's good. Yeah, I'm a podcast co-host. I'm not actually throwing stones from this glass <laughs> house. It's, it's all in good fun. Yep. Uh, so the Teen Wolf movie has been announced. What would you like to see happen in it? Oh, man. Uh, besides me being in it? No. Uh, I'd like to I'm, see that too. I would like that, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, I would just, I just want to see the band back together. Honestly, like just getting to see all the actors and characters share the screen again um, after, you know, all the years that have passed. I mean, what has it been? It's been what, five years since it's been five years. Yeah. Six. Yeah. That's it's almost, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, I feel like more, I, we're at the point where more time, has passed, at least for me, uh, being off the show than than when I was on the show, mm-hmm. and it's it, it was such a like a mind blowing revelation because I felt like for so long my life out in LA was Team Wolf, yeah, and now uh, and now I'm moving into this next chapter, uh, you know, where I've been I've been off the show for just as long, um, but. Here comes Team Wolf the movie to save the day. Exactly. Yes. Bring exactly. us back in. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not picky. You know, with movies, I, I I'm, I'm I, I just wanna I just wanna see it. I just wanna nice. see it. I wanna see the actors. Um, 
I'm I'm excited to see what kind of new uh, you know you know creatures if, if any any new creatures make it to the screen. Um, I was sort of envisioning like like a like a like an epic combo creature, like bringing elements of of multiple creatures into one. Um, I don't know, but but I, I Franken creature. Franken creature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's um so so will you're 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 writing this thing and i worked on it a little bit yes is, is this going to be a three-hour uh epic i mean <laughs> jeff jeff was he was saying like i mean we're, we don't have there aren't runtime constraints on streaming it so it's just whatever it takes to tell the story that's cool. you know so i mean he he was he was he was down for an epic you know, that's, if that's what it takes. If it that's takes exciting. two hours to tell the story, it's like, go for it. So, yeah. Hey, I mean, if, if, if who knows what the future holds, mm -hmm. but if there's going to be, if there's going to be one Teen Wolf movie, you should pump it with as much as you can. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Go big or go home. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> what they want. No, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm really excited. And you, you guys must be excited too. Very. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. Uh, so as uh, touched on before, you attended a Teen Wolf convention and that was the first time I believe I met you and you had the makeup on. Uh, what was the experience like for you attending a Teen Wolf convention? Gosh, I was just, I was a kid in a candy shop, honestly. I was so, <laughs> I was so excited. You know, that was, there's this other, there's this other side of my, my experience on Teen Wolf and that was, that was Tyler taking me to so many different events. We went to London together for a Team Wolf convention. Wow. We went to Vancouver together or Toronto together for a Team Wolf convention. We went to Portland together for a Team Wolf convention. Um, we went down to Comic-Con. Uh, it, it was incredible, you know? Um, I learned so much uh, because of all of these, all of these experiences that, uh, that he shared with me. Um, very grateful. Um, but, but each, each trip, you know, each trip was unique in its own way, but, but, you know, just as exciting as the one before it. Um, I just like, you, you have to understand someone who, someone who's been wanting to do this their whole life, you know, at the age of five, it's like, I definitely, I put Hollywood on such a pedestal that when I actually fell into these moments, it was so overwhelming. Um, sometimes it would, sometimes it would uh, hold me back. Like I would, I would get too nervous sometimes, you know. Um, but I finally come to terms with all of that, and I've, I've settled into it, and uh, I feel really comfortable with everything now. Um, but uh, yeah, all of the all the Team Wolf conventions were just absolutely insane. I I actually have this one, um, this one story where. We were at, I think it was the London WolfCon, and uh, the actors were, I guess, set up behind a table signing pictures and autographs. And um, they they positioned me at the end of the table with Tyler, and you know these fans were were, were cycling through, and then they'd come up to me and and just with a huge smile on their their face and having no idea who I was, they were just like, "Oh my God, can you sign my poster too?" Oh. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, 
and you know just just being in that position you know was just I I, I was so happy to have been able to to just to do that I I, I don't know it, was, it, it may sound corny but like it was no, so, it no was it's fun yeah it's wonderful yeah it's wonderful yeah yeah the cat yeah. thinks it's wonderful too oh yeah yeah <laughs> meow I love it meow yeah, I think, I think he's jealous. I think he's jealous. We're talking about wolves in the presence of a cat. Oh, look at that handsome man. This is his name's Mafio, and he he does have a fan Instagram account. It's called Mafio Cat. Okay, <laughs> I, guess I know I'm following him. I follow a lot of cats. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's happening. Uh, those, well, those conventions were, were 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 wild though. Like, I I was so impressed with how the actors handled all of them because they 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 barely had any downtime. Yeah, they can be really packed. Yeah, packed weekends. Uh, so kind of building off that, do you have any memorable fan encounters that you could tell us about? Uh, I think I just told it. I think that that was the, I think that was that was the story I was going to tell. And then I also have another another story. Um. Uh, I met I met this this guy named uh, Kieran Housley. He was a big uh, a big Team Wolf fan, and I believe uh, he was also in London. And um, he and I had on the same beanie, and uh, we just kind of had this like this moment where he was just like, "Oh, cool beanie, cool beanie," and um, I don't know. We we kind of just became internet friends after that uh, after that encounter but it was so nice and he was so kind and, and it was just it was just kind of cool to connect with with a fan uh that way i don't know it was just it was kind of like a just organic way yeah you know what yeah. I mean? yeah yeah absolutely yeah 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 that was great yeah. yeah so shout out to kieran housley i don't know i don't know where he is or what he's doing i haven't, I haven't heard from him in a minute but i hope he's doing okay <laughs> excellent well hopefully he'll listen to this yeah yeah who on the Teen Wolf set would have made the best alpha? You know, sometimes I, I, uh, I saw myself as the alpha stand-in sometimes. Oh. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I remember, I remember um, one of the seasons, uh, Matt Rawls, he was, uh, he was one of the ADs. He was like, okay, Tyler, um, we're going to give you some more responsibility and uh, we're going to make sure that, uh, uh, you're 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 helping out with um, the scheduling now. Okay, you're in charge of scheduling the stand-ins, and uh, when you get the call sheets, you need to look it over and you need to review them. If there's any changes you need to make on the call sheets, you let us know. And I was just like, wow, that's that's cool, uh, daunting task, but uh, but yeah, I was like, okay, I guess this makes me the alpha stand-in now. Nice, <laughs> very nice. Um, but in all seriousness, I would say that uh, Steve Wendell again he would make a great alpha just because he's such a great problem solver nice and he's great at delegating too communicating with people i feel like an alpha needs to be a good problem solver a good communicator and a good delegator mm -hmm. i like that i like that a lot i also feel like the uh our most beloved alphas on the show were not any of those things no, they were not. <laughs> That's why things went south all the time. Yeah. yeah. 
had Steve been the alpha in season one, the show would have lasted <laughs> like four episodes. And they were right. like, well, this is working out pretty good for everybody. I guess uh, we're done for the day. And, and Vegan just... Hills was doing really well. Yeah, end. exactly. It was just the way it was. Well, are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? You know, um, the most exciting one uh, is that I am going to be appearing on uh, the show Pan and Tommy that starts uh, next oh, week. Very nice. That is exciting. So excited to watch Very that. nice. Yep, yep. I, I'm just crossing my fingers that my scene doesn't get cut. But um, it's, it's, from what I understand, it's kind of a pivotal moment. So I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's all... It's all going to be good. Yeah. Um, and I share the screen. Uh, I've been told I share the screen with um, uh, uh, someone fun. I won't give it away. You'll just have to, you'll just have to watch and see. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm very excited ab ab about that. Uh, so that's the, that's the most, uh, that's the re most recent or closest thing in the future that's happening. Um, and then I'm also, uh, I just started writing uh, my, uh, a, a feature film. Um, so, uh, I'm happy to just kind of dive back into script writing again. Um, I do have a third script that's complete that I hope to start shooting, um, once COVID, uh, I, I guess is in the rear view mirror a little bit more. Um, you know, it's just like COVID and, you know, it's just seen so much of this on station 19, uh, it's where you, you, it costs more money, right? And more time. Um, and it's also just more unsafe, right? Obviously, if you have the protocols, but you know, people still get sick. Yeah. And I kind of just want, I kind of want to avoid those, those three things, um, because I don't have a lot of money to make a movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, time is money. Um, and, uh, yeah, just want to, just want to, have a safe set. So hopefully once we can get through this, you know, fingers crossed, cause it's just been such a tough time. Yes. Um, uh, I, I hope I, I can get back out there and, uh, and make my next movie. Nice. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, that's, that's wonderful. We hope so too. Yeah, no, yes. we, we would love that. And, and that would just be incredible. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. So. Well, well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us yes, about another so show that we love very much collectively. Because yeah, Teen Wolf is pretty amazing. Hey, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. That's uh, right. So good. That's our next podcast. So it's going to be good. So, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the talk. We've been talking, so we are trying to talk to as many people as possible just because everyone loves the show and everyone who comes on has such good stories for us and it's just just a great way to relive something we all love and then get to share with people who love the thing that we love so it's it's it's, it's fantastic yeah. I think what you guys are doing is amazing and uh, you were you so kind to have thought of me and um just thank you so much okay. for having me on it was it was so cool hanging out with all of you guys yes it was wonderful well, uh, we don't want to take up any more of your time. So you have a wonderful rest of your, I guess, afternoon for you. Yeah. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. Alyssa, right. Kate, Will, thank Bye. you very much, guys. Nice seeing thank you. you. Yeah, thank you, you so too. much. Joining us. And Mafia. We had a great time talking with Tyler, but now it's back to spoilers. So the introduction of Brayden is in this episode's teaser, although we don't get her name yet. We don't get a lot of 
about her at this point in the story, but we later learn that she's a mercenary. So with that in mind, why is she doing all this for Isaac? And why is she looking for Scott? And how does she know all this? Deaton? Question mark? I don't think she ever interacts with or mentions Deaton. Yeah, I don't think we ever get any actual answers about this. Hmm. Regardless, she makes for a good teaser heroine. After which we get the new theme sequence, I love Black Wolf Derek. Which doesn't actually pay off for several seasons. Yeah, why does it come up so early? I don't think they're related. I think they put the Black Wolf into the theme sequence for 3A because it looked cool. Not because they already had plans for Derek to do a full shift at the end of season four. Really? It's just unrelated that he actually turns into a giant Black Wolf later? Well, I don't think that was planned in advance. I think they put that in there because it was a good visual and not as a setup for a later plot point. I don't know if you should admit that, Will. Just go with it. Be like, yeah, we nailed that shit. So far ahead. So far ahead. Well, speaking of plot points that come up later, I love all the edits where it's Lydia evaluating the new pool of potential sex partners in the school hallway, but it's Cora that catches her eye instead of the Alpha Twins. Oh, that would have been so much fun. Lydia's just trying to scope out the possibilities and Brayden has to come in and spoil the fun. Kidding, I like Brayden. Okay, but guys, how is Brayden able to do the bruise thing? I think it's a very cool visual, but I don't understand it. Yeah, this never made sense to me. It would have been cool if she had been emissary turned into a mercenary, like magic for hire. That would have been really awesome. Yeah, and she has so much knowledge in this episode, so I feel like it would make more sense that way. She also seems to have a lot of insight, like that conversation with Deucalion where she talks about him being afraid of Scott. That seems very insightful into the Alpha Pack, not to mention how much she seems to know about our heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of the idea of Deucalion being afraid of Scott, I'm not sure I buy that. What about you guys? I don't like it. Yeah. Like this whole, you're afraid of the man he's going to become. It's too like, ooh, there's a prophecy that's coming out. It's like Harry Potter or the chosen one, everything. What I liked about Scott was just, he was a random boy who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time who then had to deal with wolfy powers. And I don't mind like the idea of like what happens with him becoming the true alpha, but like, it's like that, it's kind of just based off his character alone, not it's been foreseen. He's yeah. going to be amazing and change the world and stuff. Right foreseen by this random character who hasn't even been present for the events of the season yeah yeah I don't care for that like it's it's just so much cooler that Scott gets like sucked into this world but he handles it to the best of his abilities and then comes out a hero not that it just somehow seems like he was always meant to be a hero in that way yeah or Or even the idea that he was telegraphing it at this point so strongly that a potential adversary could pick up on it. Like it's like visible from space or something. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. And I also just like the idea of them, like of a better, the Alpha Pack did come for Derek because he's a hail and the hails are like, were such a powerful pack. Right. And he's an alpha already. He's an alpha that they want him to be like part of their pack. And then, yeah, with everything, like, you know, Scott keeps getting in the way of that. And then they realize they're going to have to deal with him. Yeah. If they want to do anything in Beacon Hills. But yeah, I like the idea of like, they came there for Derek because he was a powerful hail. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just, I don't like what's happening here with this whole thing. 
Yeah. I feel like though, I wonder if originally Jeff and the other writers were wanting to do Brayden as like more of like a magical character. And that's why she's able to do like the bruise thing. And she seems to have like all of this knowledge. And like I said, the script even seems to be a bit more about like psychic thing going on almost. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably what they were thinking at the time, but then they kill Brayden here. She's dead. But then later they decide to bring to her, unkill her. To unkill her because we didn't see it. We just saw a splash of blood. So that means, you know, unless you see entrails, they're not actually dead. So and then later, but you can just push those things back inside. Yeah, yeah. That's what super glue was made for in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So yeah. No. So then I think later, because uh, she doesn't come back until season four. So she doesn't come back in this season anymore. But when she does come back, we're kind of done with witchy magic-y emissary magic. And so it's like, well, we can't really go back to that so let's just make her something else i mean and, you could i mean you could <laughs> that's how long-term storytelling works but I, I actually wondered whether they kind of realized as lydia's banshee abilities were rolled out and expanded upon in season three that it would feel like they were too similar like, i could see that like a like yeah. a magical druid that can see the future is a little too close to the prognosticating abilities that lydia turns out to have yeah yeah, I can see that. But going back to Scott as true alpha, I feel like it feels too unearned at this point for it to for someone who's not psychic to pick up on that's where he's going. Right. Yeah. You know, so like he's a he's a good guy for the most part, but he hasn't done anything that's like truly heroic yet, I'd say. Yeah. Right. It feels like the Alpha Pack story or what do Kalian his story is should have been season four, where right. it's like he turns in 3A and then we have 3B for him to do true alpha stuff. And mm-hmm. then in four, by that point, someone can be like, oh, it's a true alpha and this and that stuff. Because you're right, it hasn't even happened yet. And right. so now it's just like, oh. And his character growth isn't there yet, it feels yeah, like. Right. I mean, because his his newfound heroism, as Styles put it, really just like started in season two like as of season one he was still just trying to deal with his own stuff it was like yeah. right. lacrosse allison was there a third item on that list i feel no. like it was mostly <laughs> i feel like it being was a werewolf was even barely part yeah. of it at times I mean, so. yeah it was really derek who focused so much on stopping the alpha yeah. right i mean scott wanted like you know not to be a werewolf anymore but he wasn't as concerned about i feel like everyone dying as he right. was that's right i don't want to keep dealing with this and I just want to be go back to normal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which That's is right. fine. I mean, it's very much like a 16-year-old's reaction to things, but you couldn't look at season one and be like, this kid's gonna be a true alpha. Right. Th- this kid is is so heroic that he's going to transcend the previously established supernatural rules. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of someone eventually doing that, but it is something that you have to work up to and not have characters just drop in kind of at the start of that arc and be like, oh, I can tell where this is going. Like, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Let it, let it get there in a way that feels more natural because otherwise it does feel a little bit like just seeing the future in a crystal ball, which it doesn't seem like ultimately is where they're going with Deucalion or Brayden. Right. It's funny you commented on Brayden's death scene because in the script is, is actually way more apparent that she's, she did. Oh Yeah. Yeah, in the script it says, throat slashed, the girl slumps down, cheek hitting the cement floor of the locker room, darkness creeping slowly in around her, her eyes finally flutter closed. So it's much more on screen. 
right yeah. like yeah because yeah. we just get her getting slashed out and then the blood flies we don't even see where he slashes her which turns out was like her chest i believe right she's dying we don't even see where she gets slashed like it's just blood flies yeah right absolutely so, but it is very definite in the script it seems like yeah i also found it interesting because there's an entire cut scene oh yeah oh really That's rare or yeah. non-existent to this point <laughs> i think right well there was like one whenever the sheriff like goes back and determines oh, right. that the um, yeah. mechanic the death was um a homicide right yeah i forgot that but still it was I only mean, like a couple lines of dialogue like right yeah. in this one um there's a cut scene whenever scott passes out from the pain he actually has a nightmare oh oh interesting yeah so it takes place in the high school in the hallway it says a darkened empty quarter Scott steps forward. Strange whispers bounce off the walls. Shadows stretch across the floor. He continues on, almost seeming to drift towards something. Bodies, several of them. Blood everywhere. Breath tightening in his throat. He can see the faces now. Lydia, Stiles, Allison, Melissa, Stolinsky, Isaac, Argent, even Derek. I love how they're like, even Is Derek. even Derek? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. That is brutal. Someone steps next to him. He turns to Dr. Deaton, who looks on the bodies with a regretful shake of his head. Who did this? Scott asked. Deaton. An alpha. One given far too much power, far too soon. Scott asks, who? Deaton nods to the end of the corridor, where a creature seems to almost bleed out of the shadows. A red-eyed werewolf stepping into the moonlight. It's Scott, snarling, roaring, racing toward his human self, charging in for the kill when, and then it cuts back. Nice. So we actually get Alpha Scott there. That that's really interesting because that that's almost at odds with what Deucalion is saying because mm-hmm. it's like Deucalion. Well, I guess Braden in that discussion with Deucalion is saying that Scott is essentially an Alpha in his own right, and he's done that not the supernatural way, but the strength of character way. But yeah. his nightmare is about him not having the strength of character to be a good alpha. That's interesting. Also, this is so Age of Ultron-y. It right. is. I 100% thought that. It is 100%. very, it is very Tony Stark seeing all the dead people and the broken shields and all that stuff. Even Captain America. Even <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, I like that scene though. I do like that idea. I, I like, I kind of like, what you were saying, Kate, where Deucalion has like one vision of it and then Scott has the opposite and it's worse. Like it's, it's, he's where it's his impression is if this happens, it's only bad, you know, where it's like, it's going to make me a monster. I, I like that a lot, but this also does, I feel like reinforce the whole prophecy aspect mm-hmm. of it where it's just like, this is foretold. Right. Cause it's kind of two roads diverged in a wood. Like yeah. we're going this direction. The question is whether it's going to be good or bad, but when you take that out and especially with Brayden kind of falling out of the story for a while, uh, we don't really come back to that idea of Scott's true alphaness being foretold, which yeah. I think is for the best yes agree um i just would have preferred if some of the earliest inklings of it as we're seeing here came later in the story so that we had more of scott's character growth first so it would feel more earned yeah it's it's very cart before the horse in terms of character development exactly where it's like i feel like the idea of this of scott having self-doubt and all this type of stuff great love that drama but it's like well where's it coming from 
Right. Like you've kind of, you're giving us, you're giving us drama and self-doubt before there's even a reason for those things to exist. Right. And it's like, it's like, it's like I, he- heavy as the head that wears the crown that you're not wearing yet. Right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like a prophecy of a prophecy, you right. know, type of thing. It's like <laughs> one day you might be a thing, but even then you might not be good at it. It's like, well, <laughs> well, I feel like we are way too far out for us to even be thinking about this yet. But um, right. I definitely think the story is much stronger without this scene, although it's very cool. It's much stronger when Scott, when you really aren't having an inkling of this type of stuff. And then Scott pushes through um, Jennifer's barrier and his eyes turn red. Mm -hmm. And it it feels much more, he has done something impossible. Because up to this point, we've only, we've never seen that before. That barriers cannot be crossed. That's just, that's the rule we have. And then he does it. And then through sheer strength and, and, and through will of character and all that type of stuff. And he becomes an alpha in the process of it. So that's just more interesting, I think, than this. So the, the age of Scott Tron, the age of Scott Tron, <laughs> uh, scene here, but it, it's funny though, because I was just thinking about the, uh, the Mjolnir scene in age of Ultron. Oh yeah. Which is kind of the same concept that like only Thor is supposed to be able to wield Mjolnir, but like Steve picks it up and it's like, oh shit, is he gonna, is he just gonna be able to do it from sheer like goodness of character? Yeah, Yeah, it's good. But I was okay with that in Age of Ultron because we had an entire movie about, you know, Steve being selfless and brave and those things. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 2, Chaos Rising. Rate reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews, get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's speaking heels.